everything, do everything, do everything, gonna be alright this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Good morning. There we go. Welcome to RP3 and Company on this foggy, foggy and humid Monday morning, July the 11th. I'm your big, bald and beautiful host. Raymond Parch the third. Of course, I'm joined inside the game studios as always by the producer extraordinaire Hannah. F- Wait, hold up! It's not Hannah behind the glass. It's the man with the hair that's the most envied in sports media business here in the state of Louisiana. The afternoon producer filling in for Hannah Five Names, James Mesh. Good morning, sir. Hold on. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. <laughs> Hold on. Why am I up this early? <laughs> or rather, why haven't you gone to bed yet? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the contrary. No. I took a sleeping pill to go to bed at 8.30. <laughs> James is filling in for Hannah for a few days. We appreciate him doing that. We're going to have a great show lined up for you today. On this Monday edition of RP3 and Company, we got three guests for you. Back from vacation, our buddy from Tiger Rag Radio and the Louisiana Radio Network, Jeff Palermo, will be joining us at straight up 7:30 to talk all things LSU as we head towards SEC Media Days, which will, by the way, be next week, and we'll be broadcasting live from lovely Atlanta in the College Football Hall of Fame. Brett Chancy will join us at 8 o'clock this morning to kick off hour number three. That's our friend from the Locked On Astros podcast. We're going to talk all things Stros. They took two or three from the A's over the weekend. Got a bunch of guys that earned all-star status, but one of those all-stars had been sent to the IL as a precautionary measure. We'll talk about that and more when Brett joins us at 8 o'clock. And then at 8.30, our friend from... The Athletic, Chris Vanini. That's right. We're going to talk the landscape of college football as we all start gearing up for media day season. What does he make of the realignment? Is this good for college football? Is it bad for college football? So those are our three guests. Jeff Palermo at 730. Brett Chancy at 8 o'clock and Chris Vanini at 830. Of course, we'll take your phone calls as always. We love to hear from you. Game hotlines open, 337 It's 337-706-0111. And we got a lot to get to this morning. A ton to get to this morning. We're also going to touch on some fantasy football. You know why? Because it's never too early. Got to start game planning. Yeah, training camp hasn't begun yet. It'll begin in a few weeks for the majority of the teams in the National Football League. But, hey... Don't worry about training camp battles. How are you going to pull off your strategies for fantasy football? Does Baker Mayfield being traded from the Browns to the Panthers make you uh, change your strategy on when you'll draft him? Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. Does Zach Wilson's off-the-field accomplishments make you view him in a different light and say, you know what? 
That guy's got a dog in him. I'm going to draft him after all. Year two's coming. We'll get to that as well in case you did catch up on that story over the weekend, which I even had to tell my wife. She goes, what? I go, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh it's a good one, man. It's a it's a good one. <laughs> Just Ooh, buddy, me oh my. My man's like, what's up? Oh, what's up? Oh, you with my you with my old girlfriend, huh? That's all right. I'm with your mom. What's up? <laughs> what's up? Just couldn't believe when I saw that. I was like, oh goodness. Can't wait. So, of course, James and I will dive into that. We're going to start off with the Houston Astros this morning. As yesterday, they defeat the Oakland Athletics 6-1. to That allows them to take two of three from the A's. I told you guys late last week that the A's was going to be a tough series. That Oakland, despite in a massive rebuild and their ownership not being committed to putting together a product that is worth a damn, that they were going to play the Astros tough. And sure enough, they did. They even took a game over the weekend. But on Sunday, they have an opportunity. The Astros do to win the series, and they do. The rookie, Corey Lee, got his first three hits in the major leagues and drove in three runs. Jake Odorizzi pitched well, seven strong innings from him. Once again, trying to return to form after being on the IL for more than a month with the injury. As the Astros get past the A's, 6-1. All-star outfielder, that's right, all-star outfielder. Kyle Tucker hit his 17th home run of the season. As the Astros got their 11th victory in 13 games, they did so without Jordan Alvarez as well, who was sent back to Houston as he has been placed on the IL and we'll get to that on why that happened. Lee is a top Houston prospect who was hitless in his debut on Monday after catcher Jason Castro went on the injured list. He grounded out in his first at-bat, but then he hit a RBI single to left field in the fifth, passed a drawn-in infield. That scored Jake Myers. And then he went from there, got a two-run double off the glove of third baseman, of Oakland, and then in the seventh, he singled leading off the ninth. Not a bad way for the rookie catcher to have a nice breakthrough game, three-hit performance. While Corey Lee got it done at the dish, Jake Odorizzi finally looked like himself for the first time since returning off the IL. He improved to 4-2 and two on the season after a season-high seven strikeouts in seven scoreless innings for his first win after missing 42 games with a lower left leg injury. He only walked one, the veteran right-hander, and one for the second time in 11 appearances against Oakland. So, you got Jake Odorizzi that looked good. You had the rookie catcher come up, get three hits, and they take two or three from the athletics. Now, they're going to have today off for travel purposes And then they're going to begin a three-game set at the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. The Fighting Otanis and the Mike Trouts. Or as I like to call them, the Fighting MVPs who are still well below 500. That'll begin on Tuesday. And of course, we'll have all three games of that series for you right here on the game. 
Jordan Alvarez, though, that's the big news that came out out of the weekend, overshadows everything else involving the Astros. He, We find out yesterday that he flew back to Houston for treatment after being placed on the 10-day IL because of a right-hand injury that has gotten worse. That's according to veteran skipper Dusty Baker. The Astros expect him to miss the next two series and possibly return after the All-Star break. So the big fella is get named, uh, gets named an All-Star on Sunday, but then is placed on the IL and is going to miss the next two series and the All-Star break. So, Jeremy Pena quickly was brought out of health and safety protocols. He missed some time for that. Usually the health and safety protocols means COVID exposure or COVID issues. But he was 0 for 4 with a sack fly in his first game back. So, how big of a deal is the Alvarez injury? And and from what we can gather about it is that it's been something that's been nagging him for a while. Now, he's a big, strong fella, right? But it's his hand, and you got to have your hands right. I mean, look, he's a DH that sometimes plays left field. But when you're a power hitter and things start going wrong with your hands, it's a problem. A source on Yarden Alvarez told reporters yesterday, hand is bugging him, team wants to stay on the safe side, but nothing to worry about. Said the hand's been getting progressively worse. So it's a situation where he just gets rest and it fixes it? Or is this something that's going to possibly require surgery and they're going to have to take this approach the rest of the way? Where it's like, okay, Alvarez, you've been great. Here's a couple of days off to let your hands rest. We'll find out more details in the next few days, obviously. But that is going to be concerning. Okay, his hand's been bothering him. It doesn't require surgery. Does that mean that he's going to have to be taking these stretches off as we head to the second half of the season? You're not going to perform surgery on him in the middle of the season. Because then you're going to lose them. So it's worth noting. It's worth kind of paying attention to. Once again, the hand is acting up for the big fella, the Cuban sensation. So he's going to more than likely miss the next two series and then the All-Star break. So both series this week and then the All-Star break. That's going to give him two full weeks off. And maybe they're just hoping that rest in some minor rehab will be able to fix the hand issue. So that was the sour news of the day for the Strohs. Get the win. Take two of three. The rookie, Corey Lee, comes up big with three hits. Jake Odorizzi looks really good. Seven scoreless innings as he gets his first win after returning from the IL after missing 42 games. But Jordan Alvarez is headed to the IL. Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, and Justin Verlander were selected via the player vote for this year's All-Star game, while Framer Valdez, I said it last week, I felt he deserved to be an All-Star this year, 
and he sure enough got on there. Major League Baseball stepped in and said Framer Valdez is an all-star. Jose Altuve had already earned a starting spot earlier in the weekend on Friday. So that gives him Jose Altuve. Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, Justin Verlander, and Framer Valdez. That gives them five All-Stars. Now we know Alvarez will not take part in the All-Star game, so he will be replaced. And now that the All-Star selections have been announced via fan vote, coaches, and Major League Baseball, they all are involved in the selection process. This will be the week where you're going to have guys drop out. Pitchers will not take part in it because they don't want to do to disrupt their rotation or their days off, their rest. So that'll be part of it. Some of the hitters will take time off because they're nursing some injuries. So you're going to have several guys in both the American and National League opt out of the All-Star game. So we'll see. Right now, five Strohs have been selected for the, Ash, uh, for the All-Star game. We know Jordan will likely not play because of his injury. Jose Altuve was named a starter, so we'll know he'll play. Framber Valdez becomes an all-star. He'll likely play. And so we'll probably Kyle Tucker. But we'll see if other Astros get in there or not. And we'll talk more about the all-star game and a discussion that is not tired and not old as time. Who got snubbed? And some uh, history also being made. We'll talk more about the All-Star Game coming up after this timeout. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the Houston Astros, who took two or three over the weekend of one. 11 of their last 13 are one of the hottest teams in baseball, and you can see them live in person. That's right. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Seattle Mariners, the fighting April champions, on Saturday, July 30th, and you can be there. Simply register in the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Ballpark, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. I didn't stutter. I got four tickets. Astros, Mariners, at the Big Juice Box, Saturday, July 30th. Tour of the ballpark and hotel accommodations were thrown in as well. But you can only score our latest Astros Weekend Getaway by becoming a member of our clubhouse today. So go sign up at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Astro Weekend Getaways are powered by Butcher AC, Led Meridian, Houston Downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Poll question of the day. Them Strohs did win yesterday. Jake Odorizzi pitched very well. Seven scoreless innings. His first win back from the IL. Corey Lee, the rookie catcher, got himself a three-hit game as they took care of the athletics, taking two of three from the town, from the team from on the bay. But Jordan Alvarez 
sent to the IL. Hand is acting up yet again. That's our poll question of the day. We want to hear from you. How concerned are you, Astro fan, about Jordan Alvarez's injury? How concerned are you about him going to the IL? That's our poll question of the day. You can leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Right now, 60% of you say not at all. I love the optimism on this foggy Monday morning. 20% of you say very concerned. 20% of you say slightly concerned. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. How concerned are you about your Alvarez on the IL? Once again, leave your comments on Facebook and the Twitters. The Book of Face and the Twitters. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Just because Hannah's not here doesn't mean you can get sideways. Doesn't mean that you can break all the rules. Doesn't mean that you're not going to get policed. Because not to worry, James Mesh is on the scene. He runs a tight ship. He ain't playing around. He deals with the blonde bomber every day. You think he's got time for your mess? No. No, he does not. Does not. All right, James. Every sport and every season we deal with this. Snubs, right? That's the big deal. It, it, it becomes a huge deal in, in the world of sports. We deal with it with the NFL. DeMario Davis snubbed again for the Pro Bowl, but he gets an All-Pro nod. Uh, so-and-so got snubbed for the MVP. NBA, who got snubbed for the All-Star Game? And, and here we are for the Midsummer Classic that's coming up in Los Angeles. For Major League Baseball. Snubs, snubs, snubs. Now, I told you about the Astros that got in. Fan voting determines the starters. Then coaches in Major League Baseball step in and fill out the rest of the roster. And even though majority of the teams are represented, even the ones that are treating their franchises like, you know, a good old-fashioned dumpster fire floating down a flooded street, they still got some players recognized as well. Shohan Otani is named to the American League All-Star team as both a pitcher and a hitter, which is cool. Uh, I'm all about it. While brothers William Contreras and Wilson Contreras will both start for the National League, which is kind of cool. Back in the day, if you remember Sandy and Roberto Alomar, they both went uh, started in the same All-Star game, I do believe. Otani, 28 years old, was voted in as the designated hitter for the American League team, then selected by Major League Baseball as a pitcher. And he'll showcase his talents not far from his Angels home because they're playing in Dodger Stadium. For some reason, Clayton Kershaw made his ninth All-Star team. Not really for sure why. Bryce Harper was voted by fans to start the game as designated hitter, but you know he's been injured for more than a month. See, this is the silliness that happens here. Like, if you're on the IL for the last month, you should be probably taken off the ballots. But I digress. So you got the Contreras brothers. You got Otani at two different positions. Yankees led the way with six all-star selections, while the Houston Astros have five. Verlander, of course, 39 years old, coming off of Tommy John ton of notable veterans also got on. Paul Goldschmidt. 
got on there. Garrett Cole on there. Josh Hader on there. So plenty of great players getting love. But the only thing you saw over the weekend was snubs. Who snubbed? The whole thing's silly, right? The whole thing is just ridiculous. It kind of feels the same way of, you didn't win, I just lost. It just feels like an excuse, like you're taking away from the people that actually made it. I get it. There are are always people that, there are always players that deserve to get in. But somebody's got to be out. Here's the other component of this. Fans vote on this as well. So your starters are voted on by fans. So fans have a voice in this. So every time, every year comes around, well, there's a snub. Well, maybe the fan base just didn't vote enough. You understand what I'm saying? Like, There's too much of one fan base that voted for one player. And it's like, okay, we get it. You like him because you're X team's fan. But really, he's not as good as the other teams. Just But the other team's fans just didn't vote enough for their players. You know good and well people out there hate the Houston Astros. Of course. Yet they got five players on the All-Star team. Five. Now, one of them was only selected as a starter, but then Major League Baseball is like, okay, that's ridiculous. So, some of the other guys. So, so fans came out and voted against Astros, right? That prevent that only had them have one starter. But I don't know. You know, I just... It, every year, somebody has a gripe, and it doesn't matter if it's the NFL or Major League Baseball. Somebody always has a gripe. And typically... It, it gets resolved because every single professional sports guys will receive the all-star recognition, whether that's Pro Bowl or NBA All-Star or Major League Baseball All-Star or NHL All-Star, right? And every year, every season, there's multiple guys that don't play in said game that paves the way for other guys that supposedly were snubbed to get onto the team. Every year. It happens every time. That's why they have alternates. So, I don't know, man. It just it just seems just so. Oh, what are the big like? You go to ESPN, right? You so you go to ESPN, and the top story. I'll refresh. The top story. One of the top stories for ESPN. Here we go. They've since replaced it in the last 26 minutes. Now they got the greatest skill of all 30 Major League Baseball teams ever drafted. So they put something up new. But the the main story from the weekend, all-star rosters, ESPN Plus, all-star rosters, biggest snubs, surprises, and takeaways. Then further down is, who's been snubbed from the all-star game? It's a video. Really? Really? This is what we're doing? I mean, if you're going to be mad, be mad that Otani has two spots. Otani's taking up two spots. Fighting MVPs. How'd they do over the weekend? Let's check the standings, shall we? For the fighting MVPs. Because, you know, you got two generational talents. You know, you got the reincarnation of Babe Ruth and the reincarnation of Mickey Mantle with Otani and Mike Trout here. I would assume, as Otani got two all-star spots, that the Angels are dominating. Hold on, wait, I'm... 
Oh, breaking news just in. They're 38 and 49. They're 19 games back in the standings. The Angels have lost four in a row and are two of their last eight. <sighs> I, I, fighting MVPs. Got to get them MVP trophies. Got to be 12 games below 500 at the end of the year. Congratulations. Congratulations. All-star snubs are silly. Every team can make an argument that they had a player snubbed for the all-star team. In Major League Baseball, in the NBA, and in NFL, and in NHL. Every single team can do that. Can we just not? Because here's the thing. All-stars are announced... By Wednesday, a quarter of them will be gone because they'll opt out of not playing in the All-Star game and not taking part in the Home Run Derby next week and, you know, whatever else there may be. Probably more. Probably more. You're right. It'll probably be 40-50%. So then all those guys that got snubbed will have an opportunity to play in the game anyway. And we'll have 72 players that got All-Star can can claim on their baseball card that they're All-Stars. But then there will be people be like, well, he should, this should have just been from the beginning. <laughs> just be happy that they're on. Just be happy. Just be happy. Golly. Just be happy. Come on, please. Oh, man. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to shift gears to the National Football League. Maybe a little NBA as well. Because I know the trade that you were waiting on your Boston Celtics to make happened over the weekend. That's the game changer trade that's going to get you guys over the top and help you win a title next year. But also, we're going to talk about the Zach Wilson story. Oh, chef's kiss. That's coming up next. You're listening to RP3 Company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, uh, the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with a brand new Apple Watch. All you have to do is join our brand new text club. Simply text the word GAME, G-A-M-E, to 337-288-8100. That's GAME to 337-288-8100. Once you join, you'll be eligible to win a brand new Apple Watch. I'm not talking about the knockoff brands you sometimes find at the bodega on the counter next to the Swisher Sweets. No, 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 no. I'm talking about a legitimate Apple Watch. Plus, You'll have tons of chances to score other great prizes like Houston Astros tickets, concert tickets, and so much more. Once again, join our brand new text club. Text the word GAME, G-A-M-E, to 337-288-8100. That's GAME to 337-288-8100. It's the GAME's new text club. Find out more at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Houston Astros are winner-winner chicken dinner yesterday, taking two or three from the Oakland Athletics. 
Got five players named to the all-star team from fan voting, coaches, and Major League Baseball, but Jordan Alvarez is headed to the IL for his hand acting up yet again. But let's talk about some non-baseball stuff this morning. Let's talk about the fact that James Mesh is on cloud nine right now. Die-hard Boston Celtics fan. You guys make another move, adding another veteran after you traded for Malcolm Brogdon, giving up some reserve players and a future first-round pick to the Indiana Pacers. You added him. Now you've added Gallinari or Gallinari, or depending on what part of the world you live in, how you say his name. He's 33 years old, but averaged 11.7 points on 38% three-point shooting for the Hawks last season. In 13 seasons, he's averaged 15.6 points and 4.8 rebounds. Good veteran presence. And here's an interesting staff. He has 1,426 career three-pointers, James. That's the fifth most by a player six foot ten or taller all time. So he's a big fella that can drain it from three-point range. How do you like how your Boston Celtics are attacking the offseason after coming up short in the finals, but put together a great run, great run at the end of the regular season, postseason run. Now you added two vets that can help you greatly. No, it's really good because you're not asking to light the world on fire with your acquisitions. You're just looking for good people to replace. Getting Malcolm Brogdon for paper clips and tissue paper. <laughs> <laughs> and then it always get- disrupts. I always love when teams just dump a player and they're like, we'll take whatever. You have some leftover chicken in your fridge, send it our way. It's great. It's like Kevin Costner in draft day where he fleeces him for everything at the end. <laughs> Give me David Putney. <laughs> yeah, just, I want him. So, different trade five minutes ago. <laughs> just ridiculous. But you had two veterans. Yes, really good. Love Malcolm Brogdon. You can make him the one and move smart to the two. And you could just have all four just be ball handlers as your starters. Tatum, Brown, Brogdon, and Smart. Those are good four ball handlers. And then having at your five, Rob Williams, Mr. Shreveport himself. Yes, right. And then you still got Derek White, Peyton Pritchard as your two backup guards, as well as getting Danio as your backup three. Just have him shoot like three threes, and then he just goes sits on the bench the rest of the game. And you still got Al Horford, who's 37, who play really well. But if you can move him to a reserve role and have him be the backup four or five, the team's insane. <clears throat> I like what the Celtics have done. And it's a smart move by them because you add some veteran leadership to a team that filled with stars, but they're all under the age of 25, right? So you add some veteran leadership, which helps, especially coming off the playoff run. And those guys can also eat up minutes because here's the thing that a lot of people don't pay attention to. After you make a run to the NBA Finals, sometimes there is a hangover the next year. And sometimes you can run out of gas towards the end, and that's what kind of happened to the Phoenix Suns. We saw that last year after going to the NBA Finals a year before. So adding some veteran guys that can eat up some minutes for you is smart. I also want to touch on another NBA story, and, and we're not talking about NBA Summer League because I learned a long time ago you don't pay attention to Summer League. So many guys ball out. It, it's, it, it's like when we get to training camp and you have training camp star. And there's 17 different stories and five television interviews done about the, the, the star at 
Saints training camp that doesn't make the roster eventually, right? Like there's on Dixon. Oh yeah, right. So it's gonna there's it happens every year. I don't pay attention to summer league because you're not playing elite competition. You're playing other guys that are just as young as you. No, no, no sorry, Esau Winston of last year. Oh, it's yes. all you heard about. Oh. S- saw him do punt returns. I'm like, this guy's slow. Why is he punt returning? He's not going anywhere. Does he have? He he looks like Miguez running. And a couple years in the in, in the potato sack. A couple oh. years back, <laughs> a couple years back, it was, it was Cyril Grayson. Remember? Oh, yeah. Cyril Grayson. Oh, that, that's all. And now he's on the. And now he's on, on the, the books. books. Right. So we're not going to talk about summer league. I I have something to say. People being critical of Dollar Dame staying in Portland. You you can't have it both ways. I, I hear all the time, callers will call this show, and if you want to chime in on this, we'd love to hear from you as well. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. Guys don't have loyalty these days. No one has loyalty. No one has loyalty to the team, so forth and so forth. Everyone is just a headhunter. Everyone just goes and puts themselves first. And literally, in this last week, criticism of Kevin Durant once again trying to opt out to go somewhere else because it didn't work out because he can't get along with Kyrie or the Brooklyn Nets are a mess or whatever it might be, and he's looking to jump on, you know, jump on the train, so to speak, jump on the bandwagon. And we're so critical of him. And we've been critical of LeBron James, and we're critical of all these guys that do this. Right, James? That's all I hear. Of course. And yet there's criticism for for Damian Lillard. I don't know what Damian Lillard's doing. What is he thinking? So he gets paid a lot of money. He's not taking a hometown discount to stay in Portland. Okay, he's going to get paid, what, over 40 mil per year to play basketball? Uh, about, about 60, because it's two years, 120. Two years, sorry. I was way off. So $60 million to stay with the team that drafted him that he's played for all these years. And I heard criticism over the weekend. Well, what is he thinking? Apparently, he doesn't want to win. So, okay, so Kevin Durant is spineless because he wants to jump from team to team to try to win championships. But Damian Lillard isn't committed to winning because he's staying loyal to the team that drafted him. I don't understand. I think I think it's a deeper level than just because every situation is different. It was the fact that you lost, you blew a three-one lead to the, to the Warriors, and you went to the team that and then you, you and then you go to them, right? Because they're already championship caliber, and then you just go to it. Of course, that's that seems pointless because it's like if you can't beat them, join them. I mean, no no one enjoys that, and then it made the la- those the next three years hard to watch. But then with Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal. It's they're staying there, they're getting a bag, and they're staying loyal. But with them, people are saying, "Why are you still there? Get out of there!" Washington's not winning. Portland obviously couldn't get past the second round, and that was with CJ McCollum. Correct. It just kind of depends on the situation. But here's the thing, though. So, also not to mention with Kevin Durant. You look at like his Twitter, and he has burner accounts, and he's he's always been infamous for he's so sensitive, and he and he's, he's so, so sensitive. sensitive. So any little bad thing you say about him, I mean he's he's gonna talk about it on one of his twenty different accounts or all of them. 
So if if you have a bad negative connotation to somebody and they do something to make it even worse, then it's just fr- that player forever ruined. But we've also been critical LeBron, of course, lately because of jumping and 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 going from from team to team. And because every four years he switches right. teams. So here's two guys. I'm glad you brought up Bradley Beal because that's another one because he's mentioned in trade discussions and oh he's gonna what's Bradley Beal doing? It's okay if a player likes playing for the team. Like I, I think that's a very kind of generic thing that we don't talk about when we focus on this because we're so championship or bust, right? Look, the season Boston just had was a great season. They didn't win the title, but it was a great season. Yeah, especially how it started. Right? Bradley Beal and Dame Lillard are great players. They're going to make a lot of money. And they want to stay with the teams that drafted them because maybe they like living in that area. Maybe their kids are in school and they don't want to take their kids out of school. Maybe the wife doesn't want to have to relocate to another city again. Maybe they have all their family, just not their immediate family, but maybe mom, grandma, brothers, sisters. All of them are now there, and that's their home. Like I, I we 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 forget that part, and I think that's part of it. Look, these guys are getting to play a game. One. They're getting paid an enormous amount of money to do so. Generational wealth. Money that you and I and everyone out there listening will never see. Can't even sniff. We're talking 30. We're talking Scrooge McDuck vault money is what they're getting. We're jumping in coins. Yes. And they're comfortable with their family. And you understand what I'm saying? Like, I just we we can't have it both ways. I understand Durant acts like, uh, you know, acts like a child. I get that, and the way he behaves, I don't uh, look. I don't agree with. But we can't be critical of LeBron and Kevin Durant and other guys for jumping ship and chasing rings, and then on the same hand, being critical of guys that are loyal to their team. And we go, well, well, don't they realize they can't win there? Time out. Every one of these guys thinks they're the best player. Right? Yeah. Their confidence. I don't care if you're all NBA first team or you're not even an all-star. When you play in the association, you believe there's a level of confidence that you believe you're the best player on the court. Now, you you more than likely are not the best player on the court, but you believe you are. So what's not to say that Dame Lillard and Bradley Beal don't believe, okay, I'm here, they're going to build around me. There's part of that with the ego, too, of staying in one place and proving that you can win there. We can build around me. I'm great. We're going to build around me. That's part of that, too. That's part of that, too. I'm just saying. I just, just saying. I just find it completely interesting. Got a little NBA talk there for you. When we come back, oh, we're going to touch on the Zach Wilson news. In case you haven't heard, we're going to... <laughs> let you in about what happens with star quarterbacks from BYU that come to the NFL. That's coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Yes, the all-star rosters were revealed over the weekend. The Houston Astros won two of three. NBA news coming out. Trades and wheelings and dealings. Summer league ball. But we got to talk about the Zach Wilson story. So the first reports of this were this. This caught my attention. So Zach Wilson entering his second year as the starting quarterback for the New York Jets. First round pick. 
high pick of the Jets out of BYU. Good-looking young cat, as Kevin Foote would say. Well, stories came out over the weekend that Zach had his ex-girlfriend, who of course looks like a model, they had broken up, and now she's with his former best friend and teammate at BYU. Then the story was that Zach wasn't all that upset about it because he had now hooked up with his best friend's mom. But <laughs> but that's not the case. There's been a clarification on the story, James. And you're telling me now that's not the case, that it is his ex-girlfriend hooking up with his best friend. What's going on out in Utah with the with the Mormons, by the way? I mean, <laughs> but now you're telling me he did not hook up with his former best friend's mom. He's hooking up with his mom's best friend. Yes. There we go. Mormon Manziel for you. <laughs> the Mormon Manziel is what we're going to call him. Absolutely. <laughs> what? What do you think the reaction's going to be when he when he? <laughs> shows up at the team facility for training camp you think his teammates are just gonna love this right they're gonna be like my man i need to be your wingman i was gonna say they're going to the super bowl <laughs> they're going to the super bowl oh uh, number one raging cajun fan of rp3 and company is darren i need you to hit us up and let us know brother how you feel about your quarterback hooking up with milfs i just i need to know I need to know if this is the if this is what's going to take the Jets from three wins to a playoff team is how Zach Wilson is living his lifestyle off the field. I need to know. We got to wrap up hour number one. Hour number two coming up right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number two has arrived on this slightly foggy Monday morning. Please be safe out there as you make your commute to work while you're listening to us. Thank you for making us part of your morning. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. Joining me inside the studio this morning is the producer extraordinaire, not the one you're used to, the one that you listen to in the afternoons, James Mesh in the house, filling in for Hannah Five Names. Sorry, Martin. I hope that's okay. <laughs> I know. You get to hear my voice this morning. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> We're having fun this morning talking a lot about what occurred over the weekend. Obviously, Houston Astros take two of three from the Oakland Athletics. They win yesterday. The rookie catcher, Corey Lee, gets himself three hits. 
Great game for the young man as Jake Odorizzi pitches seven scoreless innings as the Astros defeat the Athletics. They take two or three, and we find out five Astros have been named to the American League All-Star team. Justin Verlander, Framer Valdez, Jordan Alvarez, Jose Altuve, and Kyle Tucker. Now, we also find out the bad news. Jordan Alvarez, the hand is acting up again on him, the MVP candidate for the Strohs. So he's been placed on the 10-day IL, which means he'll miss both series this week and will more than likely miss the All-Star game as well the following week. So we'll keep you updated on that, on the status of what's going on with your Alvarez. We also talked about NBA. Boston Celtics make themselves a trade to add another veteran presence to their lineup. They're making some moves, which is nice. We also talked about this whole notion of being critical of guys for getting paid and staying in one place. We talk about all the time, complain about loyalty. No one's loyal anymore. The fans aren't loyal. The fans just root for players. They don't root for teams. And yet you got two guys that decided to stay and take a bunch of money to play for their hometown team, and yet now we're critical of them. You can't win there. Well, make up your mind. (laughs) Make up your mind. But, of course, we also touched on the Zach Wilson drama. Oh, goodness. Is it a requirement to be the starting quarterback for the New York Jets and have some type of off-the-field situation with the ladies? I was going to say that it has to deal with women. Yeah, always, right? Mark Sanchez had the same thing back in the day. Where Sam he was Darnold living. with mono. Uh, Sam Darnold with mono. Mark Sanchez with multiple ladies. Like, like Okay, you're the starting quarterback for the New York Jets. You know, look, it all goes back to Joe Willie Namath, right? So... The, the the goat when it comes to you know quarterbacks living the, the their certain lifestyle when you walk around with multiple ladies on both arms and a mink coat you know that's that's the standard Joe Willie but Zach Wilson the story that came out over the weekend his ex girlfriend is now with his former best friend I do we even know if they're I would assume. They're no longer friends, but I don't know. We're not really for sure here about the soap opera that is Zach Wilson's life. That his best friend from college and his teammate at BYU. That he is now with his ex-girlfriend. The young lady that was with him there on draft night when he was selected in the first round by the New York Jets. I would assume that there's been some type of falling out unless Zach's like, look, I'm living my best life. Bro, if you want to be with my my ex-girlfriend, go after it, man. I love you. Cougar for life. But now, that works on so many levels, by the way. Now, because <laughs> he went to BYU and now he's he's hooking up with his mom's friends. So, but now, it's come, come out that Zach Wilson is involved in a relationship with his mom's best friend. The next book club meet will be pretty interesting. Ooh, man. Man, oh, man. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you something else. This now is going to make him, in certain circles, even bigger. You're going to either love him for it and instantly become a fan, or you're going to absolutely despise him. 
Correct. And the people that secretly despise him are going to like him, too. They're like, man, I wish I was that <laughs> Man. Are you like, dude, why are you going after older women? We, we can have I a discussion that we're not allowed <laughs> to have on the air about all this. Okay. So we can't not, we can't have that, that discussion. But I, I'm going to let you know right now. Zach is not going to have any issues now. Moving forward. Making friends. Making friends with making older friends or friends his his own age. I'm just going to say that. I'm just going to say that. Either way, he's getting dapped up. Either way. I, I just I go back to there's so many different stories across time and space. Ashton Kutcher gets involved with Demi Moore. Did that hurt him when that relationship broke up? No, because then he went with Mila Kunis after dating some other ladies. So Zach Wilson's going to be fine. <laughs> but if okay, if so, but let's have a real conversation. So now his his business is on front street as they like to say. Is this a distraction for the team? Like, is this an issue with training camp being a few weeks a few weeks away, and they're trying to establish a new culture there with the Jets? Coaches in his second year, they have their franchise quarterback or who they believe to be their franchise quarterback, even though I don't know. I still have question marks. I had question marks about Zach in college coming into the pros. Is this a distraction? Like, is this something that's going to make the team not focus on trying to be better and be a playoff team? I never do know about this. This isn't like a DWI, or this is not even like Alvin Kamara getting into a fight and having a suspension looming over his head that the Saints are having to deal with. This is a dude just hooking up with his mom's best friend. If it does, that's absolutely pathetic. Because you've had other situations where you you should maybe be concerned or like you think about it in the back of your mind. But something like this, if I'm like a wide receiver, I'm like Garrett Wilson, cool, bro. Don't care. Just, Not my situation. Just throw me passes. Exactly. That's all I care about. That's all I care about. Darren, our bud, he's not only the number one Raging Cajun fan of RP3 and company, he's also our number one Jets fan of RP3 and company. He has chimed in. He says, bro, what can I say? <laughs> I hope he's focused on football and has no time for women, and that's his excuse. I don't know. I don't think he's our franchise quarterback anyway, but I do think we're a quarterback away. So there you go. So there you go. So Darren has chimed in. <laughs> oh, 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 Salty Steve has chimed in. It is Monday. My man is ready to go. He says, not concerned about Alvarez in reference to our poll question of the day. Wilson's new intro music will be Stacy's mom. Yes. Yeah, which is, which is, uh, I like that. Um, Dame Dollar is a loyal loser and five names replacing is a Boston fan. And he threw, he gave up the throw up emoji. Sorry. Sorry, James. Sorry. <laughs> not what everyone a, can be. What a, a way to start off the week. Hashtag extra salty. <laughs> I was going to say, not everyone can be a winner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Look, man. Look, Hearts chimed in. 
at RP3 at game. Zach Wilson played for BYU and hooked up with his mom's best friend. Guess he has a thing for Cougars. Yes, it just it just it just writes itself. Right? It, it just writes itself. And what about the BYU quarterbacks? Go back all the way to Jim McMahon, who was a man who enjoyed the uh nightlife in the ladies as well back in the day for the Chicago Bears. He went to BYU. There's something in the water out in Utah. Is there something going on at this very conservative religious institution where guys go to play quarterback and then, you know, Taysom Hill went to BYU. Just saying. Have I ever told you the training camp story with Taysom Hill that I have? No, what's your story? Okay. So my wife is a diehard Saints fan. Yes. So we try to go to a game every year. I take her to a game, treat her to a game. That way she can go yell and scream and lose her voice while cheering on the team. <laughs> Love it. She, she, Let me write that down. She, she, I tried to get, I tried to spend extra money one year to get her better seats, to get us better seats, to sit closer to the field. Because I said, hey, it's my wife, right? It's the mother of my child. I want to take care of her. She wants to see her saints. She made me change the tickets. I'm not making this up. She likes sitting up in the nosebleed section so she can sit right next to the wall of the Superdome. And she wants to bang on... Is she a wall banger? She wall banger. Oh, my God. All day long. My wife will get up there and she will just pound on the wall to cheer on the Saints. That's her thing. I got photo. I got photographic evidence of her just pounding on the on the thing. And then people stare. And some of my friends are like, "You?" they had no idea because she's so, like, you know, just calm, cool, and collected. And then I took them to a Saints game with us, and I said, here you go. She's going to be a maniac. And there she is, and I love her for it. <laughs> so she wanted to go to training camp. And I'd been to training camp with some friends of mine, and I'd covered training camp. So I was like, look, we'll get tickets to go to training camp. You know, fan fest thing. We went to training camp a couple years ago. This is pre-pandemic. Let me tell you, underneath the covered areas with the misting fans to watch training camp, there was a, how would I describe this? A group of older ladies. And their main focus at Saints training camp down in Metairie was not, hey, look at Michael Thomas catching out routes. Hey, look at Drew Brees throwing the ball. Hey, look at Cam Jordan. Their whole focus was Taysom Hill. These ladies were in their 40s, maybe early 50s. And their focus was, come on, Taysom, baby. Come on, Taysom, baby. What you, you looking good, baby. Taysom, baby, come on now. Ooh. And like doing like that the whole day for training camp. So I don't know what it is about white boy quarterbacks that are Mormons from BYU, but it apparently makes the older women's go crazy. This isn't. This isn't the exact same, but I remember I had the same English teacher for 7th and 8th grade in middle school, and then I had her in 10th grade, and I and she, and she loves me. And I remember having her, and she knew I love football and love sports. So I remember her, her talking to me, and she was like, man, Cam Newton is just so handsome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he's he's good looking. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not for sure how to respond to to your statement, ma'am, 
by by teacher. But yeah, so yeah, so uh, so yeah, Zach Zach Wilson. I don't know if it's going to be a, uh, a distraction. Look, the kid needs to work on his mechanics. Needs to work on his throwing. Uh, you know, his throwing motion, his timing, his routes. None of this is really going to matter. It, it, look, uh, Mark Sanchez lived a certain lifestyle as well. Okay, and videos came out in the whole nine yards. Okay, the Sanchez like to have uh, multiple friends over. You know, on the weekend and okay? dogs on the sideline. <laughs> and it yes so yeah but that didn't mean that he ended up being a good pro right he lost the starting job then he became a backup and now he's out of the league so it's one thing to be a dog off the field so to speak but you know you hope as Darren pointed out that Zach can put in the work to actually be a competent quarterback here in the National Football League Zach Wilson could flip his stats he could throw 11 touchdowns and only nine interceptions this time. That's what his stats were from last year? It, yeah, nine touchdowns, 11 interceptions. <sighs> but if, if we're being realistic, I, I think it's a completely different situation because you had Rex Ryan as your coach whenever it was Sanchez. Sanchez, yes. So, But now you got Robert Sala. I think more highly of Robert Sala. And I think what they're doing with the Jets is a lot more better respectable than, and more of a disciplinarian. Yes, of course, than it was with Ro, with Rex Ryan. Right. So I think I don't think this will project them to a playoffs or anything like that. How I was making the jokes in the first hour, but I think they could be seven, eight wins because they got three first round picks. I liked all three picks. Zach Wilson, if you give him more time, to develop. I'm not worried about the arm mechanics itself. It's it's kind of the same thing with Aaron Rodgers. Just do your thing. You have arm talent, but what he needs to do is more mentally. Correct. Work on the progressions. Read defenses. Read his defenses. Don't just focus in on one guy. Go through your progression. Because you have you have the talent with the arm, and you are mobile. He's got mm, legs. He is, we've we've he is. seen it. So you can buy time. You Which, once again, be- is another requirement if you think of famous BYU quarterbacks, Jim McMahon, Steve Young, Taysom Hill. They're all runners. That They, 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 can, all, they can all run. So they they have that. Yeah, look, do I think it's going to be a distraction? No, I think the locker room will have some fun with it. I think some guys will dap them up. But if he's throwing three picks a game by week six, no one's going to care. No, because we're going to be we're going to be worried about why why do you suck so bad? Correct. So there you go. We got to take a timeout. We'll take your phone calls. Hotline's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is packing our bags and we're headed to Atlanta for SEC Media Days next week. Tune in starting next Monday as both yours truly, RP3 and company, and Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh will be broadcasting live from the College Football Hall of Fame for the games live from SEC Media Day coverage presented by Borderline Furniture. Not only will yours truly and Matt be broadcasting live, we'll also be providing live updates every single day on footnotes and on the Jordy Holberg show. So kick off the 2022 season in Atlanta with the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. SEC Media Days is at times overwhelming. So I'm glad I'm going to be there to help Miguez through it. Because it can be a lot. He's going to need it. People had told me beforehand, we went a few years ago for the first time. I had never been. And I'd been to other Media Day events, Sun Belt, Southland Conference, but nothing. They're not even in the same realm as the SEC. And we're there in Hoover on Radio Row, and it's so much. And it's over, like, they held it there at the hotel in Hoover, which is connected to the Galleria Mall. So you got people walking in from the mall down Radio Row, by the way. And then you have fans, people dressing up like versions of Bear Bryant, You had some Auburn fans spray paint their dog the colors of Auburn while walking down Radio Row. You had 30, 40 people behind a rope in the hotel lobby by the escalators. So every time I'd come down, they'd get all excited because they thought it was a coach coming down or a player coming down because I'm a large guy. I look like one. And then they'd be so disappointed. Oh, that guy's just a member of media. It is overload of fans and festivities and parties and all the stuff and by like the end of day two you're just like oh my god am i going to make it through four days of this miguez isn't ready (laughs) but i'll make sure that i help out the youngster with the sec media days next week as we'll broadcast live on rp3 and company and on crunch time with miguez and mesh it's an experience, man. It just is. It just is. Hey, I want to touch on some other things that happened over the weekend. Obviously, all-star teams have been released. Uh, Otani named an AL all-star as both a pitcher and as the designated hitter. Jose Altuve was named a starter. Four other Astros get their uh, recognition, including Justin Verlander, Framer Valdez, Jordan Alvarez, and Kyle Tucker. Alvarez, of course, is going on the IL. He'll miss the All-Star game more than likely as he's going to be going on the 10-day IL for the Strohs with issues with his hand. The Joker wins his seventh Wimbledon title. It seemed like it was a foregone conclusion, especially after Rafael Nadal pulled out due to the injury. But the Joker is not going to be taking part in the U.S. Open because he is not vaccinated. And to play in the U.S. Open, you have to be vaccinated. So the Joker's like, eh, I'm done. So he's just not even going to play, even though he's won that tournament a few times. So the Joker wins his seventh Wimbledon title. And it's a crazy time in tennis because it looked like Roger Federer, who surpassed Pete Sampras for most Grand Slam titles. But now you have him in the conversation as the GOAT, as well as Nadal and Djokovic. All three guys played during the same time 
all in the conversation of being the greatest of all time. You know how rare that is in sports to have that, whether it's an individual sport like tennis or whether it's a team sport, to have three at the same time competing against each other. Federer had a bit of a a head start on the rest by a few years, but then Nadal came, and then they, they going back and forth to win all the majors, and then Joker comes, and they all played in the same era. And they're all in the conversation of being the greatest of all time. Amazing. All three are not from America, by the way. The state of men's tennis is pitiful. But that's a discussion for another day. I want to talk golf because the Open Championship is this week. Be later, it'll be at St. Andrews. Tiger's already there. He's ready to go. Xander Shoffley, who's the world's number one ranked golfer, Wins the Scottish Open and gets a, man, his putter was uh, fantastic over the weekend. Xander Shoffley went winless for more than two years on the PGA Tour. On Sunday, he picked up his fourth win in the past 12 months. Some guys only get one win every four years. He's gotten four of them in the last 12 months. He overcame a rough patch, got two key birdies and a tremendous par save for an even par 70 to win the Scottish Open, which is one of the tune-up tournaments for the Open Championship, which will be held at St. Andrews across the pond later this week. This is the purest of the all. The Claret Jug will be on the line here. Shoffley heads to the home of golf as one of the hottest players in the world. It was the first time the PGA Tour co-sanctioned a European Tour event, which they typically don't do, but now with the emergence of LIV Live Tour, they're doing this. That eight-foot par save on the par 317th was magnificent. And he just keeps winning and winning and winning. And... Shoffley didn't have his best stuff on the final round until the very end, where it mattered the most. His second straight PGA Tour victory, as he won in the J.P. McManus Pro-Am in Ireland to start off the week, that doesn't count. So he's really won three tournaments in a row. (laughs) But the Pro-Am really doesn't count. Final major of the year is this week, the Open Championship. The last player to win twice in a row before a major was Dustin Johnson in 2016. And he went on to be tied for ninth in the Open Championship at held that year at Royal Troon. And the emergence of Shoffley from a guy who hasn't went more than three years without a tour win to now winning four tournaments in a span of a year and is the world's number one ranked golfer in the world. And remember last year, he also won Olympic gold in Tokyo at the Olympics. It's phenomenal. He also won, teamed up with Patrick Cantlay to win the Zurich Classic down in New Orleans. I was there for that. He's going to be one of the favorites this week. Typically, guys that win the tournaments right heading into the Open, you don't want to put money on. Because typically they're in the mix, but they don't get the job done. But we'll see. 
If anyone can do it, it feels like Xander Shoffley could be the guy to do it. Before we take a timeout, let's head out on the hotline. Welcome on, Paul, to the show. Paul, what do you got to say for yourself? I'm sure it's going to be Yankees-related. Oh, before I get to that point, I definitely want to say, my brother, you know, from listening to y'all, you know, women do love a man in uniform. <laughs> uh, you know, I tell you, RP, man, I didn't know you married the um, female Kevin Foote. Oh, man. Cat, let me tell you. Uh, we gotta, we're going to go a little long here, but I want to share this. So I had no idea about her fandom, right? She just said that she was a Saints fan. And I was like, okay, well, we, we started dating in January, got engaged before football season, right? It, it was a quick courtship. And I'm like, hey, look, man, the, the, this woman. So I was like, hey. And she's like, hey, you know, I like the Saints. And I'm thinking – Man, you know, man, a lot of girls, a lot of women say they like sports, but they really don't, right? So I invite her over to the house, and she brings her dog with her. And oh. as, and I got my dog and everything, so I'm cooking for her, I'm grilling out or whatever, and getting ready to, to, for the game. And literally the first series, and I see her dog, Paul, I'm not going to lie, I see her dog, and her dog goes and hides. And I'm like, why is the dog hiding? <laughs> Because the dog knew what was about to happen. It was the first series, and Drew Brees, Drew Brees threw an incompletion, and she goes, come on, Drew. Come on, Drew. What are you doing, Drew? And I turned around, and I was like, I'm about to marry an absolute maniac. But I'm here for it. I'm here for it. And I was like, it's too late now. It's too late now. I can't turn, I can't turn back. I can't turn back. She, 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 she's beautiful. She can cook. She's a boss. And uh, she, she, I got me a good one. So I'm going to sit back and just let her just scream at the television. You got to deal with foot and whatever. Yeah, you're in trouble. (laughs) You know, I'll tell you one thing. I was dating this beautiful, nice lady and forced everything. I had to leave her because of one thing. And she's a great woman. She's a Red Sox fan. She's in the work now. I'm dead serious. She's a black fan. I had to let her go. You know? Now, I want to say this, though. Now, you ever watched the movie Bruce Almighty? Of course. Okay, remember how these people, he was like playing God, and all these people was praying, praying. He can hit a prayer. Right. Well, I, I say that because prayer changes things. That's an old saying. Because I say this, this is for Martin. Martin did a lot of praying, and I was Bruce Almighty. I heard him. Because he knew if he would have lost one game, he'd have been wearing that Yankee gear today. <laughs> all week. So he did a lot of parade. The man ain't never takes me until last night when they had the big lead. That's how long it's been since he texted me. That man was worried and scared. I know he's listening. But we will see each other down the road again, and he's going to put that Yankee gear on sooner or later. And when he do, I will post it up on 103.7. I will send it to the <laughs> to the ugly socks, to the Yankees. And the world going to this man wearing that Yankee gear. That's all I want to say, RP3, and y'all have a blessed one. Yankee. Have a blessed day, brother. Thank you for the phone call. <laughs> we got to take a time out. When we return here at RP3 and Company, our first guest of today's show, Jeff Palermo, our friend, news and sports director of the Louisiana Radio Network and co-host of Tiger Ag Radio, will join us talking all things LSU as we gear up for Media Days next week. That's coming up next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
SEC Media Days. That's right. The circus is going to be coming to Atlanta next week. LSU is going to kick off everything as Brian Kelly and players will be the first up on the podium a week from today there in Atlanta at the College Football Hall of Fame to talk about the latest about the Tigers, which have had an interesting offseason, both football, basketball, and baseball, is our friend from the Louisiana Radio Network and Tiger Rag Radio, Jeff Palermo, fresh from his vacation. Sir, good morning. How you doing, bud? Uh, doing well, Raymond. Back to uh, reality here. You know, just uh, trying to get by as, <laughs> as normally you do. Will you guys be attacking on some form or fashion the Zach Wilson news on Tiger Rag Radio this week? I just feel uh, like I'm it. Trying to figure, trying to figure out uh, how to connect that to LSU <laughs> in, in some way, but that is. Uh, Oh man! What, what, I, I haven't not looked yet, Raymond. Have we looked at what uh, the uh, the headline or whatever on the New York Post? Uh, oh. It's got to be. It's got to be good. Oh, right? it's got to be good. <laughs> we'll have to find that. It's got. It's you know. It's going to be just perfect. Just absolutely perfect. Oh, all the Jets. They just they 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 do their thing. They do their thing. Yeah. All right, but yeah. um. What do we think is going to be the big talking point next week when I'm there in Atlanta and Brian Kelly and the team takes the stage? What, what do you think is going to be the, the the big message, so to speak? Well, I think uh, LSU goes into the, into the season as a team that the expectations are not very high. And I think Brian Kelly is going to try to sell you that this team is going to be better than maybe some people expect. But at the same time, I think he is also um, going to say, hey, we're, we're still in year one of this, and we have a lot more work to do as far as trying to build the roster back up to where it can truly you know, compete and participate in a, in a four-team playoff. But I think Brian Kelly is going to look – he's going to look at the roster that he has – and really say, hey, there's a lot of talent here. Uh, I would imagine he's going to talk up his coaching staff, his his, his coordinators, and uh, he's going to really sell it that uh, LSU is s- certainly a team that could potentially win, you know, ten games in the in the regular season. How many questions do you think he's going to be asked, or how many times or different ways is he going to be asked by our fellow colleagues about the quarterback competition? <laughs> because well, it's, it's going to be obviously huge. It's 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 the number one story going into August camp as far as what they're going to do. Um, he will be asked about it in in, in a variety of ways, and uh, yeah, I, I, to me, it's it's one of the more uh, fascinating um, quarterback battles that we've had here at LSU. You know, last year was supposed to be a a good one between Miles Brennan and Max Johnson, but Miles gets hurt. Uh, right before preseason camp, and that pretty much kind of uh, that that ended that ca- competition. But when you got three guys that um, uh, are, are going to be competing for this job, that I know Nussmeyer didn't start a game last year, but he pretty much played in an entire game after not playing in the first series. So you got three guys that uh, feel like they have they certainly can be the starter. Um, I, I mean, that, that obviously brings about uh, a lot of intrigue, and it's going to be a question that's going to be asked, obviously, not only during uh, SEC media days, but all the way through August leading up to the season opener against Florida State. 
quarterback is going to be a big um, talking point. I, I've said this before, Jeff. For me, if Brian Kelly can fix the offensive line, then this team can win eight or nine games this year. If he hasn't fixed that offensive line, they're going to struggle to be a 500 team. I don't care who the quarterback is. Uh, I, I just look, the offensive line was awful, and they got to fix it. Yeah, and you have uh, a, a completely different looking offensive line, and I don't know how much they really, uh, you know, after spring football, how much they, I think they're still, that's still a position that's very much uh, a work in progress and very fluid. And heck, uh, that may be one of these uh, positions that certainly doesn't really get settled until you know sometime in September or whatnot. You also have to take into account uh, injuries as well. But yeah, if that offensive line is is performing the way it should, then um, it, it's going to open up some holes for what should be a good running attack and. Uh, yeah, certainly. As we just mentioned, you got some quarterbacks that can throw it, and you, you, you throw in a. You also have an athletic quarterback out there, and if you just give that guy a, a, a little bit of a, a, a seam, he, you know, he can break one. So, it's to me the the position group uh, going into preseason camp that has the most questions. At that's for sure. What do we know about Kayshawn Butte? Do we feel like he's going to be fully healthy, ready to go for camp and for the season? I think so. I mean, uh, we had him on Tiger Rag Radio last month, and he seemed pretty uh, confident that he, he's going to be good to go. Um, I, I would imagine they'll take it easy with him uh, at first, and who knows? They may not really push him too hard in preseason camp uh, to make sure that he's fully healthy. But I, I don't foresee that really being a big issue unless uh, he re-aggravates the injury. Talking with Jeff Palermo, the Louisiana Radio Network, co-host of Tiger Rag Radio. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. What about the defense? What's the big question mark on that side of the football for you as we enter towards media day and then after that camp? Well, you got um, really pretty much an entirely new defensive secondary outside of Jay Ward, uh, but you got some veteran guys thanks to the transfer portal. So it's just kind of fitting the pieces in place there. Uh, you feel fairly good about the defensive line. You obviously have some uh, big-time players that are returning there, so uh, including Mason Smith. So that's and Jaquil and Roy. Uh, you got B.J. Ojolari who's back. So that's a guy that uh, you foresee. Uh, I think this is a team that could put some pressure on uh, opposing quarterbacks. Uh, you feel fairly good about linebacker uh, going into this season. I think there's some, there's certainly some guys that, again, you got some experience, and then you're going to have some guys who are going to be pushing for some playing time. So, you know, defensively, I think this team looks looks good on paper. But again, kind of going back to what I was talking about at the beginning of this is just how much depth is there. If you get a few injuries, uh, how depleted does this uh, defense get? Especially in that defensive secondary cornerback position in particular, you know you get some guys that start going down with some significant injuries. That uh, that's going to make it very difficult on this defense to to replace them because I I don't feel they they feel really good about their their two deep. Uh, I think they probably feel pretty good about their starting eleven or you know their their starting thirteen fourteen guys that they'll throw out there. But once they get beyond that, I think there's some real question marks. 
Jeff, take away the questions that are going to be thrown at Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban on Wednesday and uh, Thursday, or I guess of this this uh, next week at SEC Media Day is about their you know scuffle over the off season. What do you think are some of the big talking points that you're looking forward to hearing coaches speak on while in Atlanta? I think where is college football heading? I think that's a big question. I mean, we I know these coaches are not going to have um, you know much. I mean, I don't think they're going to break any news as far as realignment, but where are we going with this? I mean, how much bigger is the SEC going to get? Are we are we heading to a day of uh, just two super conferences or something like that? Uh, where are we going with the transfer portal? What are some ideas out there to maybe uh, roll that back a little bit? And NIL, uh, how, how do we handle that so it is not a – uh, pay-for-play way of uh, doing things when it comes to recruiting. I mean, I think those are, to me, those are the big storylines going into the season. Uh, it's not necessarily what's happening on the field. Um, you know, that's going to get played out over you know September, October, and November, and into December. But where is college football going? Because I don't think anybody can tell you exactly where it is going. I, I think we have an idea. I think we're we're moving in the direction of uh, whether it's two, three, or four super conferences and 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 then a, a break off from the rest of the NCAA at, at least as far as when it comes to football. Uh, and you, you have these four super conferences kind of regulating themselves. Uh, but I, I think that's that's the scary thing is is. For a college football fan, you know, there's a lot of people that say, you know, college football is, is going to be fine. It's it's adapted, but this seems to me, Raymond, the the direction that it's heading, it's it's moving too fast, too quick, and there's no, you know, the big buzzword has been guardrails, right? There's no guardrails on this thing. There's no one that's kind of leading the train, so you don't know where it's exactly heading as it goes down the tracks. I'll, I'll leave it with this, Jeff. I asked someone last week this, and I asked you the same. Is this movement towards a few super conferences, which feels like eventually down the road within 10 years, they'll just remove themselves from the NCAA altogether. Is this actually good for college football, good for the game we all grew up loving and watching and listening to Keith Jackson on the calls and everything like that? Is this good for college football? I mean, I think it could be good in that it gives us, I think, maybe, and I guess we have to wait and see exactly what it would look like, right, if you had the the, the power conferences create its own organization. Do they continue to still play the mid-majors? Um, I, I'm more for what I what I hope is the end result is more competitive games during the regular season and not these three or four games that are basically exhibition games. But I think what you are going to lose is your traditional rivalries. The day that LSU puts out a football schedule and it does not contain Alabama or Auburn on it, it it, it will. It, it, it will it'll be shocking. It will be very difficult to kind of look at. <laughs> you know, if LSU is playing, you know, Oklahoma or Texas or heck, um, um, 
I don't know if it, if they're some depending on how this all breaks off. I mean, if they're playing like Florida State as a conference game or North Carolina, and you're not playing Alabama and Auburn, it's it's just going to be very difficult. And, and I, I don't. It, it's going to be kind of hard to wrap your head around how that is how that's possible when it's been such when it's been such a um, you know a, a sport that has been. It's been able to grow because of the traditions that it has. Jeff, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy Tiger Rag Radio this week. And we'll talk to you soon, bud. All right, man. Thanks a lot, Raymond. Talk to you later. We got to take a timeout. We'll update the poll question of the day and wrap up hour number two. That's coming up next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Poll question of the day. How concerned are you about your Alvarez headed to the IL for 10 days with that hand issue that's been plaguing him, the Astros All-Star. Right now, 43% of you say slightly concerned. Another 43% say not at all. Love the optimism this morning. And 14% of you say very concerned. Let's get to some comments. On Twitter, our guy Doug, plenty of baseball left to play. The only thing I'm concerned about is eating birthday cake today. 7-Eleven must be lucky. I've made it 66 years. Happy birthday to our guy Doug. My man is joining us on his birthday. I'm all about that. Happy birthday, brother. Hope you have a great one. Hope it's relaxing and fun and you have all the cake your heart desires. Let's get to some comments on Facebook for our poll question of the day. Ralph says, personally, not at all, but see Kevin Foote's reaction and he shared a gif of Macaulay Culkin from Home Alone. <laughs> James Kennedy says the Shroves should be very concerned. The Mariners are coming 16-3 and over their last 19. Hashtag Shroves don't want the Mariners in the playoffs. James, I like your comment. I'm going to like it. That hashtag's way too long, bud. Way too long. It's excessive. <laughs> Let's work on the hashtags. <laughs> Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave those comments on Facebook and Twitter as well. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three, we're going to kick it off with Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros podcast. That's next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, the Houston Astros keep rolling right along, taking two of three from the Oakland Athletics. That's always going to be a tough series for the Strohs, especially when they have to go on the road and take on the Athletics, even though the Athletics are an absolute dumpster fire floating down a flooded street this year because ownership is committed to them being awful is the best way I can, I guess, describe it because I'm not really for sure what the heck they've decided that they want to do 
with that team. That said, two of three from the athletics. The Rook steps up in a big way. Corey Lee gets three hits yesterday. Jake Odorizzi, seven scoreless innings. His best uh, performance since coming back from the IL as he picks up win number four. And despite not having Jordan Alvarez in the lineup as he went back to Houston to begin his stint on the IL for 10 days, Stroh still get the job done. Five Astros named to the All-Star team. Looks like Jordan will not play in the game because of being on the IL. To break it all down for us is our next guest. He's the co-host of the Locked On Astros podcast. Brett Chancey joins us now. Brother, good morning to you. How are you, bud? Hey, I'm doing great. You know, going into the All-Star break, you got five Astros and or you got, you know, four Astros in the All-Star game. Um, I think there's a couple snubs there, to be honest, and um, I'd like to tell you that I think Ryan Stanek and Rafael Montero, I think, deserved a spot on the All-Star team. Which they still may get one once everything, once the dust is settled here, right, and you have uh, players opt not to take part in it or want to rest or whatever it might be. It usually feels like about a quarter of the guys that are actually selected for the All-Star team opt out every single year. Well, let's start with the All-Stars, not a surprise with Verlander. I was thrilled to see Framer Valdez, well-deserving honor because he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball, just not on his own team. No, yeah, definitely. You know, it's it's definitely good to see, you know, what I love to see is Dusty Baker, just any amount of Astros in Dodger Stadium at an All-Star game. I mean, <laughs> let's just – Let's just call it what it is. You know, let's let, let's call a spade a spade, right? The Dodgers fan base has been so vocal versus this Astros team, obviously because of 2017. And I I thought it would have been poetic for Jordan Alvarez to hit a home run in Dodger Stadium, being the team that we got him from. So I think it's great. Dusty Baker's your manager. I think the players. I mean, Jose Altuve now has more All Star game selections than even Craig Biggio in his career and definitely going down as one of the greatest Astros to ever put on a uniform. And Justin Verlander, the absolute android of a man that he is and the robotic arm that he's throwing with. The question is, will he pitch in the game? They jostled around his starts, and he's going to have a start real close to the all-star break. Is that going to force them to want to sit him and have him start in one of the two Yankee doubleheaders games coming out of the All-Star break. That is a question that Eric and I posed on the show last night. It remains to be seen. Well, Brett, it also makes a lot of sense on their direction with Verlander here in the last, what, two to three weeks is that giving him more days in between his starts because they don't want to overdo it. Even though he looks like the Terminator out there coming off of Tommy John surgery, They know they're going to need him to be their ace down the stretch and for the postseason. You're not going to want to waste him in the middle of the year for some unnecessary starts. And I hate to say it, but the All-Star game would be one of those. You know, I agree with – yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And to me, it would be a smart play to have him not pitch. And I kind of debated back and forth with Eric. I was like, well, hey, you know, it's one inning, but – what pitchers do to get prepared just to go into a game, they're all about routine. They're all about, um, you know, the proper preparations. And just one inning of start, is it worth going out there and throwing things off more 
And if Jordan Alvarez is going to come back during that Yankee doubleheader, you also probably want Justin Verlander on the mound because we know earlier they had moved both his start and Garrett Cole's start where I had actually told you all they were pitching against each other and then both teams ended up making, I guess, a chess move and moving them out of that start for that one game with with New York when they came to Houston. Which was interesting that both teams decided to make a move there. Um, so Verlander gets an odd, which we expected, you know, 11 wins, first uh, pitcher to do that in the big leagues. Framer Valdez gets onto the team, which I think is well-deserving. And then you get Kyle Tucker, who also gets on – uh, I was, I guess, not necessarily surprised by that, Brett, but I was, I guess, pleasantly surprised uh, be the better way to describe it because I thought maybe the outfield would get a little crowded, yet he found a spot on there and, and yet, you know, well-deserving, especially with the first half that he's had. Well, yeah, exactly. He's, you know, he's slashing 259, 351, and 478 with uh, 16 home runs. And he had, you know, he he had he has 58 RBIs. That's only second to Aaron Judge with 14 steals. So, which is like fifth most. And in a league that does not boast a running game, that's huge. You know, Kyle Kyle Tucker's speed. I think Kyle Tucker's glove. He's clearly one of the top outfielders. I honestly think he's a much better outfielder than even Giancarlo Stanton. We know that the All Star Game. Is basically a popularity contest. It's not a who is the best of the best, right? Um, because the fans get to vote who they want to vote for, and that's always been an aspect of the game that Major League Baseball, I guess, has been you know proud of. But a lot of people questioned, well, how did Kyle Tucker make it? Because a lot of people, he's quietly had a very good season. He's not batting 280, 290. He's not hitting 300, but he has really come on um, towards the second portion of this first half. And I think he's going to continue to trend upward. Jordan Alvarez is one of the other ones that made it to the All-Star. He's an MVP candidate. But the hand is giving him some issues. Going to be on the IL for 10 games. Going to miss the All-Star game more than likely. How concerned are you? That's our poll question of the day, Brett. How concerned are you about Jordan Alvarez going to the IL? I am not ultra-concerned. I didn't know that it was progressively getting worse. And that's what Dusty Baker said before the game when he was talking to the media. He said it's progressively gotten worse. He's been playing with pain. And any time a player plays with something that's nagging them, you wonder how much they're letting the team know or how much the team is like, well, as long as you can play with it, play with it, right? I just... I think if he's only on the IL for 10 days and he's back healthy, I'm okay with it. Now, if they start extending it and start saying, well, we're going to push it back a couple days, then you wonder how much damage has been done to the hand. But they give the indication that it's not that big of a deal. The other side of it is the Astros are not always the most upfront team with player injuries. They're always kind of covert about it. So, you always in the back of your mind wonder, is this all that it is? I'm pretty sure it's going to be okay. You just don't know until they tell you or until he comes off the I.O. list, to be quite honest with this team. 
We're talking with Brett Chancey of the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, brother, look, the Astros are one of the best teams in baseball. You got guys that are, you know, through the first half of the season are MVP candidates, Cy Young candidates. But what's the one thing that you see with this team that gives you any pause whatsoever, something that they, they need to work on or need to improve upon, especially with the trade deadline right around the corner? You know, that is the million-dollar question. I really think right now, unless Yuli just lights the world on fire, I don't see a problem with them getting some first-base help. I don't think the catching position really needs to be messed with. I think Martin Maldonado um, mentoring Corey Lee is, is really the perfect kind of combination right now. You, you may want to get some help in the outfield, in center field, if you maybe think you're going to have injury issues with Jordan or, or even if you think Diaz might get hurt down the road. Maybe some outfield help. But my question is this. This team is better than last year's team. And our relief pitching last year at this point was 20-something. We're number one or two. So we don't really have the relief pitching needs other than maybe a left-handed a left-handed pitcher i would say a left-handed pitcher or some outfield help but when you trade at the trade deadline there's more suitors for trades the prices are going to be high then are you going to have to hurt yourself in the long run in order to get a trade piece for this season and does that said trade piece put you over the top you know the blockbuster deal in 2017, what Justin Verlander meant to this team, um, can't go un, un, you know, unmentioned. And I don't see them making a big splash like that in the free agent market. This team may stand pat more than go out and get somebody. I think they're set more than a lot of people do. What do they do with the rotation? Because... You know, you have Verlander, you have Framer. That's your one-two, right? And that's great. Then you have a bunch of dudes that would be number threes on any other team that are battling out to be number three, four, five, and six. I mean, that's where they stand right now. And you haven't even talked about Lance McCullers Jr. coming back, who is supposed to be coming back after the All-Star break. Is there going to be an odd man out here? Who do you think it is? And could that odd man out be a guy that they maybe trade to get a left-handed arm in the bullpen or go get themselves a first baseman or a center fielder. And that is a possibility that James Click has actually said himself that they would be willing to trade a starting pitcher for some center field help. That's before I believe Jake Myers came back up. And that's a possibility. The question is, who would that be? You know, Jose Arquiz's last four or five starts has been really well, has been has been good. Odorizzi had a bounce-back start yesterday from his first start back off the IL stint. And I think if they decide to keep them and they don't trade them, which I think it would be either Urquidy or Odorizzi, you can and you can institute the piggyback system. The guys in our system are used to that. When they were in the minor leagues, they would piggyback. You've seen Hunter Brown do that this year. Um, and when when Odorizzi had his had his start, and then Joe Record came in. What did Hunter Brown do? He came in and pitched a he pitched a back five innings, five strikeouts. These professional guys can do that. And if you get the right pairing, if you get maybe like a flame throwing guy like Lance McCullers, and you only want him to pitch three or four innings, then you throw in a Jose Arquiti after that. It really throws the batters off. 
So if they don't get rid of them or offload one of the starters, they'll have to do some sort of piggyback system, and it may work out well. You know, I mean, we see the Rays do it, we see other teams do it, and they do it all through the minor leagues. So those are those are two possibilities. Urquidy or Odorizzi on the trade block, which I don't think they'll trade Odorizzi. I think Urquidy is that guy, or you keep him and you do a piggyback system. That means if you decide to keep all your guys and you can go seven deep once McCullers comes back, that means you don't have a spot for the young man who is dominating AAA baseball this year, Brown, their number one prospect. Are we going to see him in the show in the second half of the season at all? And in that right there, if he continues to progress as well as he is, he may be the catalyst in moving a starter to bring Brown up. Now, I would think you would you you would want to bring Brown up as a starter role, but since he's used to piggybacking and coming in three, four, five innings, you could bring him in as a long reliever. You could have him fill that role, and he may be the guy. He may be your X factor going into the postseason. But he has continued to improve on every start. His control is phenomenal, and he's worked with different catchers all season, and it hasn't rattled him one bit. So that is a possibility that if I think if he trends up, I think you see Hunter Brown, a late-season addition to the roster. If they do that, that means they probably moved on from one of their starting pitchers because you're right, you have – you have a surplus. You have a you have a good problem on your hands. You have a ton of quality starters, and I trust this club. I trust James Click and Dusty Baker and, and the powers that be to make that decision. And if Hunter Brown is right for the majors, you will see him this year at Minute Maid Park. You went down and caught a game yesterday for the Sugarland Space Cowboys. Still disappointed that the mascot's name is not more Reese, but that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> But you got to see some of the young talent, the 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 guys that the Strohs are grooming through their farm system. Who stood out to you, brother? Well, you know those guys down there. Yanir Diaz is, you know, although he's only hitting like two hundred eight right now, he's hit three. Like overall, his average right now is still over three hundred. He's hit three hundred at every level, and he's doing phenomenal. Emmanuel Valdez has cooled off a little bit, but he's a hot bat down there. Corey Jolts, a local kid um, who is from Clearbrook High School, continues to crush home runs. Taylor Jones is absolutely on fire. This guy looks every bit a part of why, like, Taylor Jones coming out party for the majors will probably be next year. I really think that he he really has a chance to be on this big league roster. I know a lot of people see him as the odd man out. But Forrest Whitley took, took the mound yesterday, and after one and two-thirds innings, um, the trainer came out, the catcher came to the mound. He was, he was kind of motioning to his arm, and he ended up leaving, the team said, due to right shoulder inflammation. He, he only he had one strikeout. Now, 94-95 in the first inning on his fastballs. Second inning, he, he was barely hitting 93. I mean, he looked good in the first inning. I mean, the the temperature was feels like 114. I was out there. I literally didn't last the entire game. But there's a lot of talent. Now, Sean Dubin is one of those guys I thought we would see. He's currently on the I.L., and I believe it's a forearm strain, and I haven't gotten all the details on that. But they do have some prospects that we need to keep an eye out for, 
And if they need some major league help, Brandon Belag does continue to be around in AAA. He's kind of your up-and-down guy. He has a major league experience. So they've got some young guys, though, for sure, some bats and some position players. Pedro Leone, he's still struggling offensively, but he's definitely a plus defender. So I would say Leone, Diaz, and Valdez are the three guys to really watch for on this team. And obviously, Taylor Jones comes spring training. Brett, always appreciate your time. Keep up the tremendous work with the Locked On Astros podcast. Tell the folks how they can follow you on social media and where to go for all your stuff, man. Yeah, definitely. If y'all follow me at H-Town Wheelhouse on Twitter and Instagram, you can follow me at Locked On Astros on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd love for y'all to subscribe to our YouTube channel, we do live shows most of the time. Um, uh, I guess about two weeks ago, we had Ryan Stanek on, so that's a great interview. You'll have to catch that. And we also have other player interviews, Astros, Farmhands, guys with the with Corpus Christi, guys with the Space Cowboys. So check us out. Follow us on Spotify. Go into your car and, and ask your smart device to play Locked on Astros. And when you're going to work, get some good Astros talk. we got some great post-game breakdowns. And just – Check out all the stuff we got for y'all. And we've got a, starting tonight, I'll announce a Jake Myers, Jake the Rake bobblehead giveaway contest that we're going to start this evening. Going to run it for about a week. So if you get your name in the hat, you could be the lucky winner of a only 2,000 bobbleheads of Jake the Rake Myers from the Space Cowboys. Um, so check that out, and we would love to have more followers. Brett, appreciate your time, brother. Enjoy your week, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. As always, go Strohs. That's Brett Chancey of the Locked On Astros podcast joining us here on RP3 and Company. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update the poll question of the day, and we'll take your phone calls if you want to get them in. Game hotline is open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Brett, to the show. Brett, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Hey, I'm, uh, I'm wondering how concerned you're going to be tonight. Oh, how many beers are you going to drink when the Braves and the Mets get together? Oh, man. Man, I don't, I don't want to think about that. Look, I, I try not to, um, especially if I have to work the next morning, I try not to uh, do that <laughs> because things, things can go sideways in a hurry, brother. And I know you said you go to a lot of uh, AAA games. Not a lot, but uh, do you uh, have you ever seen the uh, the computer umpiring behind the plate of any of the games you've been to? Not yet, not yet. I didn't. Uh, I haven't been able to go to a game this year, uh, but not yet. But do you think that's going to ever come in the major leagues? Because the last this last weekend, the umpiring behind some of the games I saw, it was they were it was bad. I don't want to see that happen. But if that don't straighten up, we're going to have problems. Uh, look, I, I think technology is going to force their hand. I don't ever think you're going to see robo-umps by themselves, but I do think you're going to see some form of that be part of the process. So, like, if the umpire gets the call wrong, you could have the robo-ump or whatever technology they're using to be able to correct it on the fly. Okay, man. Thanks for taking the call. Talk with you later. Not a problem, brother. Enjoy your day. Yeah, I don't. I don't see us ever getting to the point where we're going to have terminators behind the plate. Um, but 
That said, they are going to start utilizing the technology. They just they're, they're going to have to. Because the problem that we're having is that it's becoming because of how video technology, the television product has drastically in the last 5 to 7 years has leap gone leaps and bounds. It's putting the physical, the human umpires in even worse light because now we have the technology watching on television that we can tell that that was an egregious call, but years before you couldn't really tell because you didn't have the zoom and the slowing down and the the split-second technology to break it all down. Now we all have access to that via our phone, right? Yet we still have umpires making poor calls and not being corrected. So that's an issue that's happening there. They're going to have to figure it out. That's if Rob Manford actually cares about figuring it out, which I don't believe he does. But that's a discussion for another day. Let's head back out to the hotline. Welcome on Martin to the show. Martin, good morning to you, brother. How are you? What's on your mind? What a glorious, 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 fantabulous day it is. Fantabulous, he says. Fantabulous. All right, bud, what you got? Rule number one, never listen to what a Yankees fan tells you because they tell nothing but lies. (laughs) I want to correct something that Paul said. I was actually texting him when we were losing in the game last night. I just knew it was a matter of time before the Yankees do what they do best and choke away a game, much less a series. So, uh, but today is national DJ LeMayhew Appreciation Day. That dude can't hold on to a pop fly to save his darn life. But what good comes out of LSU? And that's all I'm going to say about that. But like I said the other day, my uh, my Red Sox are going to take two out of the four. We're going to split the series, and all is going to be good. But that's but as far as what Paul was saying, I was texting him through almost the whole game. I started watching it in the fourth inning. And uh, they got up 6 nothing. I was like, that ain't nothing. My Red Sox are coming back. And sure enough, what did they do? And uh, another thing, the Yankees need to get rid of that garbage Aradis Chapman. That dude can't find a strike on the side of his life. And to comment on what you said about the umpires, they make bad calls because they're getting paid by the Yankees to make bad calls. Oh, That's there why it I call is. them the New, York, the New York umpires. There you go. There's not a – there's and, and that's why – a perfect example why the Yankees ain't winning the World Series this year because their pitching staff is not good. Their bullpen is not good. All they got is that glass man, uh, Aaron Judge. They ain't going nowhere with him. He's going he's gonna to shag butt at the end of the season and go somewhere else. But it's a glorious, glorious DJ LeMahieu, LeMahieu appreciation day. Go Red Sox. Thank you, Martin. Enjoy your day, brother. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> we got to take a timeout. When we return here at RP3 and Company, we'll welcome on our third and final guest, Chris Vanini of the Athletic College Football Writer. He'll join us to talk about the state of the sport as we head into Media Day season. That's coming up next right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. July 11th, 1950. The National League wins the 17th All-Star Game 4-3 in 14 innings at Comiskey Park. It's the first extra inning All-Star Game. 
That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. We're packing our bags and we're headed to Atlanta for SEC Media Days next week. Start tuning in on Monday as both RP3 and company. That's this show. That's me. That's me. And Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. We'll be broadcasting live from the College Football Hall of Fame for the games live from SEC Media Day coverage presented by Borderline Furniture. Not only will yours truly and Matt be broadcasting live, we'll also be providing daily live updates on Kevin Foot Show footnotes from 9 to 11 and the Jordy Holberg Show from 2 to 4. So kick off the 2022 season in Atlanta with the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. How concerned are you about Jordan Alvarez headed towards the IL for 10 days? The hand is giving him some issues once again, so they're shutting him down, which means that he'll likely miss the All-Star game. Right now, 47% of you say slightly concerned. 35% say not at all. 18% say very concerned. So keep those votes coming and those comments coming on Facebook and Twitter. But right now, it's time for us to talk all things college football with our good friend who covers the sport for the athletic. Chris Vanini joins us now. Chris, good morning to you, brother. How you doing, my friend? I am doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, so first question to you is this, and we're going to start off strong just to let you know. I'm not going to ease you into this. Is what's going on in college athletics with – this trend towards super mega conferences, is this actually good for college football? I'm sorry, you cut out for one second there. You, you said with this blank, and then I missed that. With this trend towards super conferences, right. mega conferences, and college gotcha. athletics, is this actually good for college football as a whole? Uh, I, I don't believe so. Uh, I think short term, you'll get plenty of money if you're in one of the big conferences the SEC or the Big Ten, and, and you'll survive ultimately. But down the road, I don't think so. I think you'll turn off a lot of fans who don't follow in those conferences. And then what happens to college football as a whole if you have fewer people uh, who, who are involved? We know that only a handful of teams can win the national championship every year, but there is a mirage of an open playing field that gets everybody excited and that binds everybody together. If you get rid of that and openly, you know, make it clear that only a handful of schools really have a chance, handful of conferences at the end, I think ultimately you're going to lose a lot of fans. If you're Washington State, if you're Iowa State, if you're West Virginia, um, you know, what happens to those fans if they're left out, on, if their team is left out on the outside? What happens to the next generation of fans? Do they pass down that Washington State fandom? Or do, or, or do they, or do, do the powers that be try to get those the kids of the next generation to be Texas and USC fans or something like that? So I, I think ultimately it's, it's a it's a major risk and a major concern. It's this is going to benefit, as you said, the big boy conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC, who apparently feel like they're in an arms race here, Chris. What happened to the so-called alliance between the Big Ten, Pac-12, and ACC? Uh, because that went out the window as soon as the Big Ten could add USC and UCLA. What happened? 
Well, you know, when they announced it last year, they held the press conference and everything, had the fancy banner and all that. We asked them, all of us reporters, we said, is there a signed contract with this? And they all said no. And they said it's about trust and handshakes and looking people in the eye. And as soon as that happened, uh, everybody pretty much treated the whole thing as a joke. Uh, the only point of it was to slow down realignment, which was obvious at the time. It was to make sure that uh, things just kind of took a break after the Texas-Oklahoma news and things didn't spiral out of control. But a year later, the Big Ten realized, hey, we don't need the alliance. We didn't need the alliance. It was the ACC and the Pac-12 that needed that. And if USC and UCLA are available, look at, all, look at how much more money we're going to make by doing that. And ultimately, that cost them. This seems to be driven by television revenue, in particular by television contracts, because if you look at it, if you're going with a California team to join USC, you would add Stanford because of their consistent success over the last, what, 20 years, while UCLA goes stretches without even making a bowl game. Is this where all this is headed? It's just going to be solely based on television revenue and television markets? Well, television has really changed the game over the last 20 years, if you think about it. The, the number of TV timeouts, uh, the length of games, all these things are we're making games. It's all about the television product, bad kickoff times. It's all about television right now. And because that football, especially NFL football and college football, are the most valuable live TV products that are left. And so... Fox and ESPN are willing to shell out major, major money for those things because that's that's something that people watch and people will watch live. It's, it's one of the few things left that really does that. And the money just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and none of these teams or conferences are going to turn down the extra money. Uh, and, and so ultimately, yeah, it's television revenue that drives all of this. This is also going to be a war between Fox and ESPN, right? I mean, this because Fox has hitched its wagon to the Big Ten, ESPN with the SEC, and these two are just battling it out for college football supremacy when it comes to ratings. Largely, yeah. I mean, ESPN has the entire SEC package. Uh, Fox has about half of the Big Ten package, plus it owns like 60% of the Big Ten network, and it's sitting in on the conversations with, uh, the leftover deals, you know, the CBS and NBC and whoever else wants to get in on the Big Ten. So, yeah, Fox and ESPN are a driving factor in all of this. That's not to say Fox and ESPN are necessarily saying, hey, Texas, Oklahoma, go to the SEC. Hey, USC, UCLA, go to the Big Ten. But it's made clear by everybody, you know, where the real value is and what the most valuable moves would be because they're the ones who give out the money. And that's just basic business, kind of looking at all your options. So, there was a comment from an LSU's chancellor from 11 years ago that recently made the rounds. And uh, I, forget, I forget the person's name, but they said, we're heading toward two conferences, one named ESPN and one named Fox. And it was said in like a joking type of way, but I think everybody kind of understands that that's kind of how things are, are looking right now. We're speaking with Chris Vanini of The Athletic. He covers college football. What's the next domino to drop, or who is the next domino to fall here, Chris? Well, there's two kind of opposite ends of this, and it's not clear if anything's going to happen or happen when. One is Notre Dame, 
the Big Ten has people in the Big Ten have said, "Hey, we're not looking to do more. We're not urgently trying to add more schools." But everybody knows if Notre Dame says, "Hey, we'll join the Big Ten," that everybody's going to be on board with that because it's, it's one of the most valuable sports products out there. Uh, so I, I think the Big Ten right now is just kind of waiting to see what Notre Dame does. And that could take a while because Notre Dame has been independent for more than 100 years and the Big Ten has wanted them for more than 100 years and it hasn't happened. So uh, there's not necessarily a rush on that. The other side is what happens with the Pac-12. And there's, there's a bunch of different possibilities. Four to six of them, the, the Arizona schools, Colorado, Utah, Oregon, Washington, they've been targeted by the Big 12 to come join the Big 12 and create a third kind of mega-sized conference. But those schools don't necessarily know if there's more value in that. There's a culture clash kind of at the presidential level just in terms of what's, uh, what different states and different schools like, especially academically. Um, and then Oregon and Washington – are in a weird spot because they obviously want to go into the Big Ten, but the Big Ten doesn't want them yet, you know, potentially. So do they lock up with the Pac-12 for a long time? Do they lock up with the Big 12, or do they try to wait it out as long as they can to see what their options are? So I think that's what everybody's kind of waiting for. Could the Pac-12 or what's left of the Pac-12, could those teams make a decision before Notre Dame makes a decision? Most. I think you don't know about Oregon and Washington, and that's the, that's the thing. I don't know if they want to lock in long-term or even medium-term with the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or some combination of the two without knowing what Notre Dame and the Big Ten are going to do. If Notre Dame says no, it's possible the Big Ten comes back around and looks at Oregon or Washington, or Stanford maybe, or Cal as well. Um, so I everybody's just kind of waiting for somebody else to kind of do something now at this point. Do you believe that the SEC is going to be aggressive behind the scenes? Because, look, no one knew about Texas-Oklahoma until it broke, and then we didn't know about USC or UCLA until it broke. Do you believe there's conversations being had behind the scenes between the SEC and ACC schools that they would like to target to add to their coffers including North Carolina, who seems to be the most buzzed-about team out of the ACC these days? Yeah, I'm sure they, they would like to. The biggest question that nobody really knows yet is, can those ACC schools get out of their grant-of-right television agreement that goes to 2036? That is an agreement that locks in the team's media rights together for another 14 years, and those things are incredibly costly to get out of. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. Texas and Oklahoma are still in the Big 12 right now because of the cost to get out of the Big 12's grant of rights. And that thing is only like two years left. And you, you, you want, so imagine how costly it is to get out of one that has 14 years left. And so that's what everybody's going to try to figure out. Is there a way to legally get out of it without having to, to, to pay that or something like that? If not, then you're kind of stuck. And the ACC is obviously at the conference going to try to keep those teams to it as long as you can. But, you know, if teams can get out, if it falls apart some way, North Carolina, Florida State, Miami, those are natural targets for the, for the SEC. And North Carolina is the school that a lot of people believe could fit in either conference, the SEC or the Big, or the Big Ten, uh, potentially. So that's, um, that's something to keep an eye on as well.
And what's interesting about the ACC, if it does break up, which I think is a big what if, right, because of the television contract that you mentioned that doesn't expire until 2036, you know, the last round of realignment, lots of talk about Virginia Tech being one of those teams to join the SEC because it makes a lot of sense, yet no chatter whatsoever this time around. Um, is that a is that an indictment on just where realignment is, or is that an indictment on where Vitek is? It's an indictment on how high the bar is to increase the revenue to join a conference. So the Big Ten is looking at potentially $100 million per school payout at the end of this TV deal. That means if you're going to come into the Big Ten, you have to increase that each slice of the pie. That means you have to have a TV value potentially more than $100 million if if, if you're going to come to the Big Ten because that's the only way the Big Ten will increase its TV situation. Same thing with SEC. So you get a lot of schools here who are kind of stuck in the middle, like a Virginia Tech. And if you don't have the academics like a, you know, like a Virginia or, or success in some other sports like Virginia, then it starts to become kind of a weird spot. And I, and I don't know where that goes. You know, Florida State, we know, brings in a ton of television viewership, even when they're terrible. Miami's pretty good at that spot, too. Clemson has been really good uh, in, in television because they've been good recently. So that's a, the bar to get into these conferences gets higher and higher the bigger they get. Chris, one more for you. You know, we focus so much on this realignment, talking about the big boys, right? The SEC, the Big Ten, about creating super conferences, the Big 12 and the ACC. Uh, but not enough is being talked about how this is going to directly impact group of five schools and the FCS level. I think it could be ultimately so damaging to them, especially with these schools, depending on those big games those checks from those games to help prop them up in a lot of ways for the athletic departments how is this going to impact group of five and lower well in terms of the game check that was already starting to become a problem with more conferences going to nine conference games the sec is likely to do that you know soon here uh the acc has not but, but you never know what could happen so um that that's part of it. As for Group of Five realignment, I don't think there's a ton that can happen this time around. In part because most of the moves that could happen happened last year. You know, everybody everybody left Conference USA to go to the American or to go to to the Sun Belt, and so there's nowhere else to go really after that. In the Mountain West, obviously your Boise State, your San Diego State, they're going to try to get into the Pac-12 if it survives. And that could create a situation where the Mountain West potentially loses some schools without a bunch of natural replacements. The other part is if the Pac-12 falls apart, you know, Washington State, Oregon State, maybe they go to the Mountain West, you know, potentially the reverse of that. Uh, so, I, you know, I, that, there's possibilities there. But ultimately, I tell you, the group of fans that I found have been most excited about realignment over the last year is Sunbelt fans. They love the new makeup of the conference. They love the emphasis on local rivalries, regional games, and stuff like that. They know the television money is not so outlandish that it's really going to make a difference here or there. And they're leaning into what fans want to see, and that is games against local rivals, being able to drive to games. And I think it's a really, really fascinating experiment here and could potentially be the future of, way, uh, uh, of conferences and how they align 
outside of the super conferences. Um, if, 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 if this works, if this regionality works, fans are really into it right now. It does seem like you're spot on, especially with the Sun Belt, which is right here in our backyard. Chris, appreciate your time as always. Which media day are you going to be camping out at and losing sleep over? Which one? I'll be at uh, Big 12 this week. Yeah, it's already here. This week, Big 12 here in Dallas where I live. I'm going to Sun Belt in a couple of weeks uh, down there in, in New Orleans. Brother, we'll have to have you on live for Sunbelt when we're camped out down there in New Orleans. Enjoy Big 12 Media Day, my friend, and we'll talk to you soon. Yep, thanks for having me. we got to take our final time out of today's show. We'll get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. It's all next coming up right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Oh, the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lex Charles wants to hook you up with a brand new Apple Watch. That's right, right out of the box. All you have to do to win is join our brand new text club. Simply text the word GAME, G-A-M-E, to 337-288-8100. That's GAME, the 337-288-8100. Once you join, you'll be eligible to win an Apple Watch Plus. You're going to have a ton of chances to score other great prizes like Houston Astros tickets, concert tickets, station swag, and more. It's the game's brand new text club. Find out more at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Jeff Palermo from the Louisiana Radio Network and Tiger Rag Radio, talking all things LSU as we head into SEC Media Days next week. I also want to thank Brett Chancy from the Locked On Astros podcast. Astros got five All-Stars. One of them, though, headed to the IL in your Nialvarez. He's not that concerned about the injury to the hand for the big fella. And, of course, Chris Vanini from the Athletic College Football Reporter. Our poll question of the day. How concerned are you about Jordan Alvarez on the IL? Final results, 47% of you say you're slightly concerned. 35% say not at all. 18% say very. Thank you for all who voted and commented on the poll question of the day. And a special shout out to our guy, Doug. It's his birthday. Happy birthday, bud. For the producer extraordinaire, James Mesh. I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9 but until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.